and he give up this like he gives up everything else. Hello, world. This is Chris Abalo's Podcast Experiment, and I am Chris Abalo. Welcome to the show. Thank you for following the show at Cape Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you for supporting the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Cape Pod. Thank you for subscribing on the podcast app of your choice, giving the show five stars, writing a little review. We very much appreciate it. And joining me this week to complete the St. Louis Murano trifecta that's right. We're going Morano crazy here in the in the Cape 160, 160 episode block is uh, the third, not only chronologically on this show, but biologically in his family, the third member of the Morano trio, drummer Mike Morano. Hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Mike? Good to see you. Going well. How you doing? Good. And uh, Mike is back out doing shows, playing with his band, the Mighty Pines. They're out and about. Actually, you guys had a gig last night, which is great yeah. because shows are coming back in bits and pieces. But we're finally there where you can play in a club. It looked like you guys are playing in a club in was it Oklahoma. Yeah, we were in Tulsa uh, yesterday and it was kind of like a more of like a little private event. It was cool. The people were coming out. It felt pretty normal. There was the proper distancing measures put mm, in place. Right. But I think a lot of people, at least what I was hearing from down there, were also getting the vaccines and stuff like that. Mm. So uh, I, that's, I feel like that's kind of just been the game changer lately. And not just with the entertainment industry, but just anything that's social, whether it's like food or just, you know, other types of events, you know, things are... From the looks of it, we're slowly getting back, but it seems to be a certainty now, which yeah. is kind of cool. Yeah, it's it's definitely gone a long way to to put people more at ease with going out. Yeah, same thing around here. Restaurants are getting back to some degree of normal. Concerts are kind of coming back. I'm actually going to see a show in uh, next month in New York in uh, mid-June, which is great. I uh, went and saw a friend's band play at a brewery, a small little show, socially distanced, Everybody was uh, very respectful and masked when they weren't drinking beer, obviously. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. of beer flowing at the brewery. But uh, just the idea to go out and to do something somewhat normal is great. And that, that honestly is what I've missed most is concerts. You know, that's sure. such a yeah. huge part of my life, just at least going to them these days. That's what it's about mm-hmm. for me. But just not being able to do that has been, man... Because it's easy. I've been talking about this recently. Like, you kind of... You will see a movie once or twice in the theater... And then the rest of rest of your life, you're essentially watching it at home on a TV anyway. So it's not that weird. It'd be nice to see some things in the theater. But overall, like you tend to consume movies at home, you know, mm-hmm. at least it, after the first viewing in most cases, whereas nothing, nothing can replicate the experience of being at a concert. Nothing feels like a show. Just being in the crowd, seeing and hearing the music in person it's there's nothing that can replicate that so the idea of finally getting back to it is huge yeah i'm just i'm way excited i think it's because when you're in person you actually feel the sound waves you know yeah penetrating through your body like they're coming out of the pa and that's you're feeling those vibrations yeah you're vibrating with the energy in the room yeah and you can't like you said you can't replicate that Unless you're there. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully. And for people like yourself who do this for a living, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's no way yeah. to express how important this is uh, <laughs> because this, this year has done, you know, and once again, sorry to everybody who's been tuning in for being redundant, but it deserves to be emphasized. Everybody has been turning to the arts and entertainment to keep them sane during the last year. So the best you can do is support people now that they're going back out there. Now that movies are coming back to theaters. Now that concerts are happening again, go to the show, buy a CD, buy a shirt, buy the yeah. band beers, something, <laughs> you know, like you could actually go a long right. way to support people who 
helped you stay sane and uh, more or less together during quarantine and during the uncertainty of the last year. You know, it's everybody's turn to entertainment for comfort. And it's it's a shame how the arts kind of everybody takes them for granted, I feel like. But now that they're coming back, I think people are really, really hungry and they're going to be going out to shows like crazy. I think yeah. uh, I think we're finally at that point. I think we are, too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy like for it. you guys. So I don't actually know how you started drumming. And I see you, unfortunately, more infrequently than I'd like to. So yeah. it's uh, I just at some point I. Oh, Mike's playing drums. Oh, OK, cool. And then all of a sudden it's you're you're touring around, you're gigging, you're doing a block of shows in Colorado. And I was in California at the time. I'm thinking, oh, I hope he comes out here. You didn't make your way to the Los Angeles area, unfortunately, but uh, then you've always been busy for like the last couple of years. So I'm kind of curious about your journey. And in part, I want to know what happened to you in that. Why is it you want to beat skins for a living? I mean, you seem pretty normal. So how, how did how did that come about? What happened? Well, it started when I was really little. And by little, I mean like eight or nine years old. Mm. And so my brother Pete was already playing the guitar. And he actually had a friend that lived down the street who played the drums. He would go over there with his guitar and then they would put on like little concerts or little perform songs in the basement. And mm-hmm. me and some other neighborhood kids like would go down there and I remember we turn off the lights and turn on flashlights and kind of make it like a rock concert down there. <laughs> That's awesome. So I actually can't remember like the exact moment where I, when I got the drums, but what happened was that friend upgraded drum sets and then they sent along the old drum set to our house. Oh, nice. I guess I was just showing an interest. Mm-hmm. Like I think I was trying to bang on them on you know at his uh, on his drums in his basement and you know or pete was tired of lugging an amp up the street and he wanted someone yeah, in house like that <laughs> but i think and it's also i think my mom made the suggestion to my dad and my dad was really surprised like i think he should be playing drums because i was always kind of dancing too i was dancing around and stuff like that and i think my parents tried to get me to take dance lessons or something like that and i'm talking <laughs> real little you know i also had like the hyperactive mind i couldn't sit still Mm. you know so long story short that's kind of how it ended up I started in grade school and I just remember getting the drum set and then starting lessons pretty quickly after that oh you know? cool and I was always kind of doing that I always I had the brothers to look up to because middle brother Joe he was playing trumpet in the school band right you know and then Pete playing guitar and saxophone and then kind of seeing all the stuff that he was creating. I, I just gravitated toward it. That's basically how it happened. And I stuck with it too. Right. Um, I did all the school bands. Like I was in the percussion. I, I liked that so much, even though it wasn't on the drum kit, but maybe I'd be on the vibraphone over here, or maybe I'd be on the timpani or the snare drum. I still liked all that because it was, we were piecing all these sections together to make an ensemble. And I thought that was really cool how different sections of music come together and create this whole grand. Right. This huge sound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I was always into that. Um, As soon as I got to middle school and high school, I started doing the jazz band that got me on the drum kit, which was nice. And I knew I wanted to stay with that. And when I got to college, I was still able to do music and um, still playing jazz combos and take lessons. And I think that's where I really noticed the difference in my playing because I was actually taking it a little bit more serious. I remember this one point in my life where I was like, you know, if I don't make it a career, because at that point in my life, you know, college, high school, I wasn't thinking of like being a straight up musician, but I knew I was always going to do it. I knew at that point. Like, I'm never going to let them collect us. I'm always going to be playing, whether it's for occupation or pleasure or whatever. Right. You know, so through college, I was able to do that and learn some audio techniques, you know, some the other side of the glass, studied the audio production field a little bit there. Um, And then that just kind of 
took me into networking through St. Louis. And I met a bunch of musicians that we, that became really good friends and the rest is kind of history. I've just kind of been cracking at that for the past eight, nine years here in the St. Louis city. And it's just expanded onto meeting other musicians. And then that's how I got into the band, the mighty pines. They came from like a different part. They met in college, but they were from St. Louis, but we came from different scenes Mm. and we met through mutual friends. And when I joined them, back in 2015, they were like already touring. They were going on the road, stuff like that. Oh, wow. And that was a point where I was like, well, that would be fun. Cause I had started playing more around town with other bands, but I'd never gone outside of St. Louis to play shows. And I think it was at that point I go, I, I, I want to give this a try. Let's see what this is about. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised cause it is a busy city. Oh. But uh, I was kind of surprised at how much of a music scene is in St. Louis because, you know, I, that's that's my own ignorance. I just thought, well, who to know? But it seems like there is a lot going on. There seems to be live music happening all the time. Lots of venues that have popped up. And I think this is kind of in, in my estimation. I don't know if this is for sure or not. You can maybe verify this. But it seems like people are gravitating towards smaller cities like St. Louis as opposed to going to, you know, the coastal cities to where it's much more expensive, you know, this cost of living is disproportionate. Whereas if you just want to make a living doing this and you just want to play, it seems like a city like St. Louis, a smaller city would be a place to go. Cause there's just a lot happening. Is that right? Yeah. That's, um, I've, other artists have actually suggested that too. And like artists on higher level, like more national levels. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of like you kind of get a little less competition maybe, um, because competition, we talk about that. It's like, you know, inherently it's there, but it shouldn't always, it, it shouldn't be the main thing, right? We, all, we right. all want everybody to succeed, you know, and that's, that's how music cities do their best is, you know, when everybody can succeed. But when you're talking about the cost of living and, you know, saturation, mm. you yeah. find a smaller city with a smaller scene, you know, you might be able to climb up the ladder a little bit quicker, you know? Yeah. I mean, that, so, that makes total sense because it's funny, you know, back a hundred years ago when I graduated from Musicians Institute, a lot of the teachers, at least the, let's say teachers who, who taught business or production or, or different levels who weren't just guitar players for the, uh, for the elective teachers, let's say, they all said like, look, don't stay here. Don't stay in L.A. Go back to where you came from, because here you're just not going to get any attention. There's so much to compete with. Forget just music. Forget other bands. There's something going on every single night of the week. So the idea that people are going to come out and see you on a Thursday night and pay 10 bucks to see you. There's just so much going on that it's you stand a much better chance in going back where you came from and making some noise there and attracting attention to yourself there because here it's just, like you said, it's oversaturated. There's just so mm-hmm. much going on that it's impossible. So I, I get why that appeals to people. I mean, I realize the, you know, the obvious choices are Nashville and Austin and um, even Portland has started to, you see a lot more bands, yeah. and a lot more of a scene popping up in, yeah. And in, in smaller states like that. And I get the appeal of that because there's not, you know, it's aside from the fact that it's just, easier to pay the rent literally pay the rent i mean i'm sure they're going to reach a saturation point as well where there are so many people moving in that there's just it's going to get more competitive but the mm-hmm. idea of going to a smaller area i get that that makes total sense to me and also yeah. because when it's smaller you also you can obviously speak from experience on this but the idea that there's also the sense that you could be more united that everybody can look at it as like oh this is our scene it's not necessarily everybody's in competition with each other you can actually, you know, you said you played in different bands just around the city and it seems like it would be more communal. Is that, am I right on that? Yeah. I mean, I think even with the population, like a, a smaller population, you're going to have that opportunity to say, oh, I know so-and-so over here. You, you, it doesn't take a lot to know a lot of people. Yeah. You know, it just kind of blends together. And there's been a couple of 
genres here, like different scenes that we're kind of blending in together, like whether it's rock or hip hop or moving from like ska to punk, mm-hmm. like there's all of that here and kind of having like, you know, mini festivals or bills with multiple bands, but like really throwing different genres together. That's happened before too. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, mm-hmm. but I think you can get away with that in smaller cities, kind of a, a little bit less of a risk, but you know, it's also something that you don't have to stick here forever or a small city in that nature, just because of the saturation, you know, it's, it, it can be something you check out or if you go to another city, just make sure you're kind of traveling. You don't have to live in Nashville, but maybe you make some connections there and you go there like, twice a month to try to play some gigs and stuff like that. You know, um, that's another cool thing about St. Louis is that we're pretty centrally located, you know, Memphis, Nashville, Chicago, Kansas city, Tulsa. Like these are all cities that are within four to six hours. Right. Yeah. You're all within striking distance of a lot of cities. Yeah. It's cool to get those vibes, you know? Um, So whether you choose to stay in a city like St. Louis for, a certain amount of years or you just kind of plan on hopping around, you know, you can definitely pick up on the benefits of the kind of uh, small city, big town vibes. Mm, right. I, I love the idea of that. You can, cause around here, you know, in New Jersey, there's, there was always the, the Jersey shore scene, but frankly, like, you know, when I was 16, when I started playing guitar, it was all cover bands that's all there really were during the summer mm-hmm. was you could play in like a top 40 band, which is fine. Cause in the late nineties and early two thousand, there were still bands on the radio <laughs> bands that had hit songs that everybody knew. So you can know, you know, 30 songs and then just gig around on weekends playing at, you know, the bars and everything along the shore. But, um, as far as going beyond that, yeah, there was Philly and New York and that's kind of it. You know, not a lot of people were, at least nobody I knew was traveling like all the way up to Boston or going down to D.C. or something like that. But the idea that you're in proximity to all these other cities, mm-hmm. I, I think that's really, really cool because y- you also kind of can see how much smaller the world is because I'm sure you cross paths with plenty of people in in those smaller areas because everybody's kind of hitting the same the same venues and playing a lot of the same. Yep areas you know so you kind of all see how small the world can be where i've played it yeah it's a couple times where i played in chicago and there's like musicians from st louis like fellow friends that happen to be in town that were either gigging or had an off night and they'd come to my gig or i'd go there and we'd like hang out you Mm. know when we're both done go to kingston mines which is a blues club that's open to like five in the morning in chicago and just like watch the blues bands we're both done with our gigs, you know. See, that's fun too because you're also you're hanging out with local people, but you're in a different city, so you get to have some mm-hmm. fun checking out some more people and meeting some more acts who like, hey man, you can come. You know, if they're in Chicago, St. Louis is certainly in striking distance. It's like you need to come down. You should come check out this place, or you know, blah blah blah. Let's you know, let's hook up and do a show together or something. So the idea that you could even network in all these other cities is pretty incredible. Um, you guys had to do, well, I should say this, you had an album that was supposed to come out in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic and you released it anyway, which a lot of people were holding back albums last year because, and there are still some who have held out and said, we're not putting out this album. It's done, but we're not putting it out till we can tour to support it. You guys put out the album and you had to get a little creative with some of the ways you're going to promote it. Like you guys did a gig essentially on a flatbed driving around the city, right? Yeah. Flatbed trailer was pulled around with a van and we just made three different stops in the city, kind of residential parks and people could post up. We told them where we were going to be and we would play like a 20 minute set. And then when we were done with the first location, we drive like 10 miles an hour, like a mile or two to the next destination. And we had people on bikes following us. People in people in golf carts were following us. That was really kind of the the invention of that came from. We weren't getting a lot of gigs. This was the first time we did it was last June, 
So there were really like no gigs in sight. I think we played one live stream gig with no audience. Mm. We were like at a, a really nice venue in St. Louis. Um, and it was shot professionally. Uh, so we were very lucky to do that. But as far as like playing in front of people, when we did this like trailer concert, this moving mobile concert, that I want to say is like one of the first times we played in front of a crowd since before the pandemic. And it was wildly successful, so successful that we had to do it again in September. <laughs> and we switched the route up a little bit, but it was just still like the same idea. Go to three places, play for 20, 25 minutes, which is nice for like a four hour gig. Mm-hmm. So it was awesome. Yeah, that's great. And that, that could be your thing. You guys could be like the traveling traveling band like hey come see us out front i mean at least in part but as like a as a promotional stunt even though it was literally like the best way you guys could play a concert still pretty great just to just to drive around um which is funny like one of my favorite bands the wild hearts did a video in about 94 95 for their song i want to go where the people go and they actually (laughs) they played the song and film them driving all around new york city that's mostly the video or i should say a good chunk of the video is them playing the song on a flatbed that's making its way around new york which i thought was pretty funny so when you guys did that i thought ah i like that that's cool even though you're kind of making stops in like certain destinations you're following a route you're not just circling around that that's a really smart way to get out there did you guys have merch and stuff like that too or it was literally just like hey we're the mighty pines check us out on instagram or were you guys doing merch and everything we had a we had a friend follow us in a pickup truck where we put our merch up, like T-shirts, <laughs> CDs, and stuff like that. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Had the new album ready to go for people to buy and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah. Yeah, that was really, really smart. I thought that was a fun idea to, to do. Because, yeah, aside from the live stream thing, which I feel like everybody was offering those last year, you guys had a, a really smart alternative. I mean, the idea of doing the stream, and a lot of people have done People are still doing them, frankly. Because it's just an easy way for people to get access to, especially for artists that are going to play in like larger venues, because those aren't coming back yet. You know, club shows are coming back in in bits and pieces. But even going in doing like a full on live stream, that was like, okay, how are we going to play an audienceless show? <laughs> Is this going to feel like a rehearsal? Because um, even though you you guys were playing in a regular like venue, you guys were playing like a theater or a club to do the show. Yeah, yeah, we were playing a theater. Um, the pageant, which is like, it holds about 2,300 people. Oh, wow. You know, so it's one of the, you know, more popular prestigious venues in the city. But um, yeah, that they kind of contacted us, which was nice. They're like, hey, oh, man, would you, would you like to play this live stream show? And it's cool because they were like having a group or like multiple local groups like play at at that venue. But there was no audience. Right. So, yeah, that's got to um, be weird. Yeah, it was a little weird. You know, we hear like the sound guy clapping. Yeah, there's one like dude. It's like, right. Woo-hoo! Yeah. You Sounds know. great, guys. And it kind of makes you think like, oh, we should probably, you know, it makes you want to banter a little more to, you know, suppress that dead air. Right. But we did. Um, We actually did our share of live streams up front. I think mm. we did about three or four self-produced Mm, um and that takes a lot of time because there's one where we just set up one microphone and played around that and then there was another one where we multi-tracked it and we had like multiple camera views like four camera angles and stuff like that cool and we did that outside and i think that was in july and that was another success you know but it got to a point where like we probably don't need to do this anymore slash we were kind of getting sick of it (laughs) you know and things were starting to come back in st louis like in the summer and late or early fall oh wow a lot of outdoor events were going on Mm -hmm. safely but even some indoor venues were opening up with the new protocols you know like only having a quarter of the audience in there right making sure everybody walks a certain direction and stuff like that so we got on a couple of those bills like regionally between here and then Columbia, Missouri, which is like two hours away. We played some shows, some public shows for people where they were able to 
socially distanced, but still be there as a live audience. Right. So I consider myself really lucky to be in that group of people that was able to play as the gigs were coming back. Cause I know a lot of other cities. Now here's the other thing you have bigger cities are not going to open up as quickly because of bigger populations and exactly. the risk and there's more people not following the orders. You have a smaller city like St. Louis, you can kind of get that under the control. If people want to play by the rules, which they did, we were able to have shows. So we were one of those few cities compared to like the Chicago or New Orleans or, you know, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. New York, St. Louis was having shows. Now, maybe not the touring acts coming through, of course, but right. shows nonetheless with limited audience. Mm-hmm. It's one of the struggles that I know a lot of venues are facing right now because, I mean, the capacities are going up, but like we were saying, the vaccines have come a long way and there are enough people vaccinated where there's just a comfort level that's there because it's not just a matter of allowing the audience in people need to be willing to go (laughs) you need people to actually be willing to buy a ticket and show up for the show and be in a confined space even if it's a a big enough space but a confined space with other people masked up and be there for the show so you know there people's uh, the audience's comfort level is certainly a big factor in all of this and, you know, there are a lot of venues that haven't opened up because they need to be at at least 50 percent capacity just to be able to break even on shows, which is another struggle kind of everybody's going through. I mean, I know it was a huge thing in, in New York and a couple of other venues that I'm aware of in different parts of the country. Were there any places that used to play that were struggling or that maybe didn't make it through the pandemic? There's one place where we throw an awesome New Year's party and it's like our one cover show of the year where we don't do our music we mm-hmm. do 90s ah. like we do two two sets of like 90s and we have guest musicians local guest musicians come in and mm-hmm. help us out and that show usually like sells out like we usually get like 700 people to show up and we've been doing it at this one venue for two years in a row and then last june they closed their doors. Uh, so yeah, there's, and there was another venue that was struggling and they had to close their doors. So I've known two venues. Mm. I thought it was going to be more, but it wasn't. And I'm glad it was only those two because there's still some venues around town that are not really opening up still. Right. But they're still able to stay open as a business. Like they're not folding. Yeah. They don't have to. They can still pay the lease. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're still they either own the building or, you know, they're getting some help, you know. So there's that. It could have been worse, but there is still enough damage done. Yeah. It's, it's still sad to see places like that fold because mm-hmm. uh, it's a drag. When you, when you guys did the, would do the cover sets, would it be like an album or would you just do like 90s hits? The 90s, like Green Day. Nirvana, TLC. Oh man, uh, Weezer. Uh, I want to hear the Mighty Pines do TLC. Yeah, is that's there video of this? Guess up there and say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of like a grab bag from the stuff like we grew up with. Mm-hmm. You know, one song that kills is like Sugar Ray. You know, yeah, it's you know, funny. We'll do I'm that, like- and then we'll throw in like Tracy Chapman right behind it. You know, <laughs> what yeah. a great idea. But yeah, it's you know it's funny about songs like that. See, everybody acts like, oh, Sugar Ray, what are they playing state fairs now or something like that? You know, like even Mark McGrath made the joke like, if you smell funnel cake, that's where we're playing. But meanwhile, <laughs> when you guys perform Fly, nobody's seated. <laughs> everybody's singing along. Everybody Everyone wants to singing. Everyone wants to act like they're too cool until the moment when they hear the song and they're like, I'm in. I'm all in. It doesn't matter if you love that song or hate that song. Mm-hmm. It's just nostalgia. Totally. And then when you hear like a group that's doing it or is like taking the time to learn it from an audience perspective, right. I would feel like, oh, that would kind of catch my ear, you know. And to do it sincerely, too. Like you guys aren't doing it as like a wink, like, ha ha, we're going to do this Sugar Ray song. Remember this? You guys are sincerely doing a version of it. Oh, so three part harmonies on that. Really? Yeah. Oh, God. That sounds great. On the, co- on the choruses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. There's always songs like that people want to laugh about. But meanwhile, it's like, no, you're, you're going to sing along. You're in. And you know the audience is going to be into it because everyone's the same with if you guys played 
any other like Weezer seems to be like the coolest band from the 90s in as much as people seem to still be excited about, you know, like Weezer stuff. And I guess Foo Fighters in the same way. But um, meanwhile, you can put something like that where you can look at Sugar Ray as being maybe like a one hit wonder type thing or even like TLC, who's obviously not doing anything anymore. And uh, that's cool. It's like a jukebox show. Yeah, I think that's a lot of fun. Yeah, it actually started as um, as a Halloween show. We used to play it on <laughs> Halloween weekend. And it's like, yo, dress up in your best 90s costume mm-hmm. and we'll have a costume contest. <laughs> well, we just tra- we just moved that to New Year's and we said, guess what? We're still going to have that costume contest. So mm-hmm. come dressed up. And, you know, people like to go all out for New Year's. Oh, yeah. It's dressing fancy or formal or doing a costume. Right. It's like a costume party and a concert. Why would you? Who wouldn't want to go to that? We couldn't do it, obviously, in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, we were kind of hopeful for it as the summer was moving along like wow maybe we can these like venues are opening and this is really cool and everything and then you know september october rolls around it's like ooh, i don't think it's gonna happen (laughs) Mm, yeah (laughs) you guys ever thought about with doing the covers thing and being your own opening act opening with covers (laughs) and then going on and doing your set you know it's funny I, i always thought it sounded kind of silly when i heard about it when I heard about people doing that, but then it kind of made sense. Like there was one of the teachers I had when I was at GIT who um, had a friend who his friend's band would play like funk covers and they would dress in full on like full 70s regalia. They would go all out with wigs and clothes and platform shoes and everything and play funk covers for like 40 minutes and then would come out as themselves and play their original music. Well, the opening act ended up being so big, they started getting hired just to do New Year's Eve in Las Vegas at, I don't remember what casino it was, but they kind of decided like, you know, we like doing our stuff, but at the same time, this is paying, they were getting like 200 grand. I mean, this is like 15 years ago, but like 200 grand just for New Year's Eve. I know that's what you hear that, especially me as a, as an impoverished (laughs) young musician student and thinking like, wow, split four ways. That's like, that's the year. (laughs) Can you imagine? Like I will play funk covers for two hours on New Year's Eve every friggin' year for the rest of my life. I don't care. Sign me up for that gig. Yeah, right? Please. But I mean, that'd be funny. You guys all put on, you know, like Rivers Cuomo, like thick frame glasses or something. You open up with covers, come out and then do your own show afterwards. Yeah, I I think that's the best way that for that to work is like you would have to come out in disguise. Totally. Or conceal your identity completely. Like this band, Here Come the Mummies. Are you familiar with them? I heard the name, but I don't know. So it's it's a it's a actually it's a funk band, right? And they're like a big like ten piece band, horn section, rhythm section, cool. And they are all in full wrapped up as mummies. You don't know who they are, <laughs> but the idea is that they're all studio musicians out of Nashville, or that's oh, how nice. it started. Mm-hmm. And then they just like, yo, let's just come up with this group and let's have the shtick of just being mummies that will conceal our identity and we'll go around and we'll play shows and they've gotten pretty big. I mean, they've, they've been around for a long time. I'm sure there's been different band members through the years. Yeah. That's the fun part. Around. I think they want to, I think they started in like the late nineties, something like that. Oh, wow. A long time, but their genre is funk. It's just like that, you know, they got some vocals in there and some mm-hmm. instrumentals and it's just, you know, a bunch of mon- mon- uh, mummies mm-hmm. getting funky, you know, <laughs> the funky mummies. Yeah, funky mummies. I mean, that, exactly. Well, hey, that could be. There you go. Let's. I'm. I'm going to cut this out of the show. That could be the Mighty Pines uh, alter egos. Can be the funky mummies. We don't want to. We don't want to <laughs> put that out there and have somebody hijack it. But that's a really smart idea because you can also, like you said, swap out members. You can have different people come fill in, and it could be like a revolving door of people. Because who's yep. to know who's in the band anyway? Yeah, and that's, all the songs stay the same. Pretty much. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. It's like, listen, these are the 14 songs we know, yeah. so, and we'll switch them up here and there, but. I imagine there's like at least four core people in that group that are just like music directing or the mm-hmm. main co- or like songwriters and stuff like that. But I mean, they put on a great show. I love that. But yeah, yeah, there you go. You guys can do the costume thing and then open for yourself by playing a, a 90s tribute. Give yourself mm-hmm. a some kind of a pseudonym for that. And then play. Yeah. you play a couple of instruments as well. So you can really throw people off by like playing bass in the opening act. See, that could be. Yeah. That- I've done that before. <laughs> Have you really? We we did uh, we did a th- little instrument switch a couple of years ago. I went to bass, and 
the other guy switched around and we just mm-hmm. played like one or two songs, you know? So it can be done. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I have to that's... practice a lot more, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm just floating the idea out there. Cause I think that'd be pretty, uh, you know, if you guys, like I said, get, get out of your stage clothes or get into different stage clothes rather, and then just get into character. That could be a lot I'm, of fun. I'm taking notes right now, uh, dude. I- I'm telling you, because then it's <laughs> like, you guys can get, first of all, you get paid twice. But uh, on top of that, look, we don't need to find an opener and we get a larger cut of everybody yeah. who comes in because people are going to be hungry for shows. So it's like, oh, I can see a cover band and check out these local guys. Oh, awesome. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, speaking of like openers, there's not really any openers these days. And it hasn't been for a while. You've mm-hmm. The shows that we play or any band that's playing, mm-hmm. you're basically the headliner. And what does that allow us to do? We get to play two sets, which is nice. Oh, cool. Because, you know, it's not like you're doing like a three set night, like nine mm. to one. No, you're starting <laughs> at like 730 or eight and you're done by 1030. Mm-hmm. So we're also not complaining that all these shows are ending early. Yeah, that's but true. As we start to get back to normal, I mean, the concerts are starting to roll back. Mm-hmm. These uh festivals are starting to roll you will still have those opening slots pop up here and there but for the time being at least most of the shows that we're doing we're kind of headlining and we're just doing two sets and that's pretty nice yeah it's good too to get you back into shape i mean did you feel like because i mean you guys it seemed like you were getting together somewhat frequently because you were doing the streams and things like that did you feel like you you lost a step at all with the um, pandemic yeah, you know what? It was it was kind of weird because we were actually keeping our distance. Um, even when we had to do a stream or whatever, I don't think we really prepped that much in, as far as rehearsing. Because uh, this was just kind of everything was unknown. You know, the summer was still kind of crazy. Yeah, there's a big so, question mark. we were just in trying the to focus on everything outdoors and everything. But when we played our, you know, our shows that were kind of bigger, we would like me uh we would get together for a rehearsal but honestly i never really felt any rust and i i'm speaking for like the whole band i felt mm-hmm. like everybody was pretty much spot on you know everybody kind of left to do their own homework make sure all the songs are you know sounding tip top yeah, yeah. especially if we're not going to get up before the gig you know so i thought it came together pretty well each time we've had to do that okay that's cool because yeah, that's that's one of the things where you don't you're not playing for a while, and that's one of the things Pete and I were talking about. Like, well, I haven't played any shows, you know, in a while. It's kind of yeah. weird to to be off the road. Mm-hmm. The endurance might be compromised a little bit. Yeah, you might for not sure. be able to like, wow, my arms are a little sore. I haven't played mm-hmm. this long in a long time, you know. But as far as like nailing the tunes and kind of the musicality between the members of the group. I kind of feel like we just picked up where we left off. Didn't lose any steps. I didn't really feel that at all. Cool. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And actually speaking of Pete, so you actually got to play on some of his solo singles too. That's right. Yeah. Those, those are out now. So we can, we can talk about those. So you went down to new Orleans and he actually credited you for being confident enough to actually be critical, maybe critique him a little (laughs) bit if he needed like another take like that's it ended up being the title of the episode with him like i need a better one you know that you would actually yeah. step in and just instead of you know like uh, i know this is your project so i will defer to you you were like mm, nah let's let's do it again was yeah, that fun so- that you guys got to actually do something like in studio like now you have some songs out that you finally got to do together after all this the whole progression of you guys you know having him as a reference point and then you starting to play and never necessarily being a band together now you finally got the chance so how was that uh, that was a lot of fun. And I'm going to backtrack a little bit because one sure. of the shows that my band did in September, um, Pete was actually in town for that. Oh, cool. And he came out and we had him sit in and like the last three songs. And that was the first time he had heard us live. And that was like also the first time in like five years that I had played with him. Oh, man. He'd sat in years ago with another band I was playing, and that was, and that was, yeah, that was a long time ago. So anyway, <laughs> that was real fun. I think that was his first time playing since January. Mm, yeah, like on a stage and with other people. 
maybe not with other people, but definitely on a stage, like a show. So we featured him there. And then, yeah, he got, uh, he's been working on original music for some time. And obviously the pandemic has allotted him the time to finish it. So when he called me up and let me know, it was actually a little surprised, you know, because <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if I have like the feels or the, the style that he's looking for. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. So he sent me a couple tracks and I actually went over them at home and I would like send the tracks back, like scratch tracks, like, yo, this is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So there was like some nice pre-production talk that we had. Uh, prior to me going down and so when we went down there things were already set up and he was in the room with me so he was just like playing and we were just playing with each other to a click and yeah that's how it was it was just two two tracks and it was just one of those things where we're just kind of vibing off of each other and trusting our gut like you know what I got it. When I get it, I get it, but I don't want to do more than 10. I think 10 (laughs) might be the limit, (laughs) but it's also like, you know, in the recording situation, at least with me, even when the mics are still getting dialed in, I still want that recorded because that might be the best take. You never know when like the best take is going to happen. Oh yeah. The spontaneity could just, it it could work and then you can't do it again. You can't recapture what it was just that first time out. And we're not confined with the restrictions of tape. Mm, Uh, So we have like limitless time where we can just record and and stuff like that. Yeah, you could just save it and say, all right, let's keep going and going. Whereas you don't need to worry about, yeah, buying (laughs) real reels anymore. Where you need to worry about like, uh, all right, we better get this one right. This better sound good because it's going to be the album. (laughs) Yeah. And so when that happened, when I did record those tracks, it was actually the first time ever that we had recorded together in the studio. That's cool. Here, period. So. Yeah. High time. Yeah. Because yeah, it was probably a long time coming anyway. It was going to happen eventually if it either was his music or my music or right. whatever. But, uh, but yeah, the, uh, I don't think those, the two that I'm on are released quite yet. I think they're still being mixed. Oh yeah. But, oh, okay. But we, I, I think I did a decent enough job to where they're going to be released. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he's going to tell you like, listen, I decided to replace you with so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would uh, assume he would be upfront with me, but I don't think that's going to be happening. <laughs> we were listening back. I were, we would listen back like the day after and stuff like that at home on like some nice monitors and thinking, listening to the takes and like, okay, we got, we got stuff mm. that'll work, you know? So that was my main concern personally. I was like, I just wanted to make sure I was able to give stuff that gelled nicely and felt great. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what you can hope for is that, you know what, if I can do this for him, great. Because aside from it being a gig, it's also your brother. So you certainly don't want to show up and have him be like, mm, nah, not really what I was looking for. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, thanks for trying, but <laughs> but you also you guys had your your pre production where you're able to send him scratch tracks and different ideas and stuff like that, which is which is great that you can add your percussive color to the songs as opposed yeah. to because it's not like it's just you know the music he's playing isn't exactly just you know ACDC kind of you know on the beat just straightforward. So yeah, you you get to put some flair into it. Yeah, and it also comes to like. At the end of the day, the the person, the songwriter has the whole image. And I learned that with being in, in the Pines because, you know, the, the songwriters, Neil and Gerard, they write most of the songs, like mm. the lyrics and like the style of their playing. And it's just kind of my role just to serve the song as best as I can, whether mm. that means me having the freedom to do what I want, but also taking direction from the creator saying, right. you know, I had this in my head. Like, can you translate this? And sometimes they have a very specific idea of what they want. And then there's other times where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm leaning toward this vibe, but put your own flavor on it, put your own spin on it. So that's kind of when I get into the studio mode, you know, if, some, if I'm 
recording for somebody. I get hired to do some studio work. Like that's my first thought is like, okay, what do they want? That pre-production, right? Right. What's the vibe? What's the style? And how liberal can I take it in terms of my own flavor? Right. I just be very upfront with that because at the end it's their baby, Mm. you know, it's their vision. Right. You're there to serve the song. Yep. And you're being asked, your job is to complete that vision as best as you can to the way they have it planned out in their mind. Perfectly said. So you're still doing sessions. You're still available as, as freelance, so to speak. I mean, these days it's, you know, with, with gigs and whatnot, it's obviously a different animal, but that's something you're still open to. You're still open to doing sessions and all that good stuff. Um, haven't done a ton with COVID, but Mm. there's a, there's a couple of people around town that I've freelanced with, whether it's a gig or doing studio work. Nice. And you were, you did some teaching too. Do you regularly teach or was that something that came about because of the pandemic? I've, I've been teaching for 10 years. Oh, wow. So that was always kind of my back pocket as I, I kind of transitioned into the full-time musician world in 2016. I was, I was working at a restaurant for a long time. So that was kind of like my day job. And then I'd, I'd do that. And then I would teach at night, certain nights privately. And then I would gig on the weekends. Mm. But I wasn't gigging nearly as much when I was working at the restaurant. Sure. And this is probably like, you know, eight, 10 years ago. But teaching has just always been the other avenue in the music realm. Another way to, you know, make some money. Right. Make a living. You know, other musicians do it by being an audio engineer whether it's at a studio or their home set up or they mix and stuff like that. And I just gravitated more toward the teaching side of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I do do the engineering, but it's more of like when I'm in my group or my own self, like if I'm creating my own stuff, you know? Right. But that's another, that's another asset and another skill set to have in the music world. It's just having a bunch of coals in the fire. You know, mm-hmm. so, but the, the teaching is really nice because I get to show kids things that I wish I learned sooner. Yeah. You know, like, even though I was taking private lessons growing up, there was a break that I had in high school. I was just kind of, I just needed a break from like taking lessons. And then I resumed in college. And so there was kind of a gap, but I learned a lot from listening to music and then being in the school bands and stuff like that. But I, there's like certain students that I have that are in high school and I'm showing them stuff that I learned in college because that's like the next best thing I could do. It's like, Hey, I I was this age when I learned that you're 16. I think you can go for this. Yeah. Let's get you started on this and get you ahead of the game because I wish I knew how to do this or, or even had somebody show this to me or play this for me or whatever. I wish I'd been exposed to this sooner. Right. Yeah. So the pandemic um, caused for a lot of other musicians to get creative, Mm. hence the Zoom lessons. And I was actually subject to that. Um, I lost some students in person, but I was able to keep some via the Zoom lessons and everything. Right. But now I'm actually getting back to like fully in-person lessons. And I only have like a few virtual lessons a week. So it's slowly coming back, cool. which is nice. We were talking about earlier, there's no replacement for the music. Yeah. Like being in live, like being there at a concert, it's kind of the same when you're dealing with lessons. Oh, yeah. But I would say especially with drums because they're not translated <laughs> the best through Zoom unless you have like a good mic setup. They yeah, do give true. that capability, which is nice. You can get some like good streaming sound through some like interfaces and get your microphones in and everything. But at the same time, it's that in-person stuff that you just can't beat. It's true. Even with doing this, like I wish we were doing this in person, of course, you know, just because the the vibe is different when you're just in a room with somebody and you can feed off each other. But, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. we're kind of at the mercy of what's going on now. So here we go. Having said that, when you do roll through the East coast, when the mighty pines are making their way up, up this way, then we'll do this again. But, um, 
Has there been any temptation on your part to start working on your own stuff? Or is that something you're quietly or maybe not so quietly, if I'm asking you about it, uh, with you playing, you know, a couple of different instruments? Is there any temptation to do your own stuff on the side? Well, I would say that, you know, this year kind of pushed me to get out of my shell more in that realm. Mm-hmm. You know, Instagram was that outlet for me. I've always kind of been creating stuff. You know, I've got a keyboard, I've got a couple of guitars, you know, and I just noodle around. I've always been just riffing for years. Mm -hmm. I just have a horrible time completing songs. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of ideas. Oh, ideas come like almost daily, you know, but I'm trying to work on completion and learning how to complete stuff and eventually getting into maybe writing lyrics and stuff. But I think ideas are, is just better than nothing. And I think I'm oh, yeah. always going to be chasing that, pursuing that, whether I release it or not. But that's why Instagram is kind of nice is because you can just release like a fraction of music. Yeah. And it's like, great. That's all I have to offer people <laughs> right now. <laughs> Here's a really but, solid 40 seconds. And exactly. you guys can think everything I'm doing is this awesome because yeah. I'm showing you a sizzle reel and you're going to think yeah. all of it's great. Or you might think it sucks, but either way, I'm, I'm putting it out. <laughs> but I think, I think that just with me, there's always an inclination to be experimenting, whether that's with other people or that's just you know myself as a solo artist or whatever. Um, we'll see where that road goes, but always getting better. I'd like to think you know the more you do it, the more you learn. And I have collabed with some fellow musicians like via Instagram, which is cool. Mm, Yeah. You're really good at putting those together, putting together the videos with layering everybody's parts that, that engineering thing that really locked in. You did a couple with Pete. I've seen you do a few with some other people, some with you on drums and on bass. Yeah. Yeah. Those are incredible being able to put all those multiple parts together. I look at that and I think like, wow, I can never do that. Like I edit every piece of video related to this show. But when I look mm-hmm. at you cutting together four different audio tracks and not only just making it sound good, but making it look good and syncing up the video, I think I can't do that. Well, you're <laughs> just a quarter. You're a quarter of the way there. Okay. <laughs> well, that makes me feel good. That's my ego massage for the day. Well, it's like, well okay, think about it there. though, too. It's like you know, if you're edit, you're editing mm-hmm. one way. Just think about you're editing the layers. Mm. You know, so it's kind of like you know, like on a. a soundboard you have all these channel strips but each channel strip is like the same thing right you know so that's kind of like the analogy (laughs) true no you know what actually yeah you're making it seem a lot easier than i thought it was Hmm. now i am gonna have to consider this i mean i can't do it with talking but but you do the video edits too Mm -hmm. you know and you're doing the audio edits and that takes time and effort and precision yeah you know there's a lot that goes into that and i'm sure you have to deal with eqing mics and stuff like that you know so mm-hmm. you, you know what's going on yeah I, i've i have enough event experience with this which is funny like that's <laughs> one of the things you know in speaking of um you know to, to kind of touch on uh, two of the things you mentioned one having to stretch during the pandemic and uh two having to having uh just ideas you need to kind of um distill into something or find a way to kind of gather them together and see kind of what works that's kind of the way it's been for me and with doing this is Okay, well, I could do the show from home. You know, when I started at the first day of lockdown in March of last year, first day of lockdown in Jersey, which was like, okay, I need to pull out my stuff, fire it up because I'm going to go crazy if I can't work on something because I need something to do. And uh, through that, it's like, okay, we're going to upgrade to Zoom. So in June, started doing the shows on Zoom and then got a new mic, got myself a nice road mic, got myself a new, you know, mixer. And all this stuff was just like, okay, I can make this so much better than it is, but it all starts just with the with the seed and kind of saying, mm-hmm. all right, well, let me try this. And through kind of working it out week to week, it's become this. Yeah. So now it looks and sounds pretty solid. But you're right. A lot of that stuff is kind of within reach just in approaching it in bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. So, okay. You're making- and you're probably seeing how other people are doing. Like when I see other people post their music on Instagram and it's mm-hmm. like it- – I mean, they're making grand productions and it's like, well, the reason why they're doing that is because they're marketing themselves, Hmm. but they're also saying, Hey, this is like, I'm taking the time to do this. 
I'm making it sound good. Mm -hmm. You never know who's going to be looking at that. Oh, yes. And finds it and then picks it up. And this it calls you up or slides into your DMs. It's like, hey, you want to do this for me? Or like, oh, I got this perfect track that you would be awesome on, you know? Right. So you never know what could happen. And I think that was also the intent behind me putting stuff out there is like between that and like tagging and seeing how it goes through uh, different streams or whatever. Mm-hmm. You just never know who's going to see it. Yeah. And like that plants a seed in somebody else's mind. Like, oh, I'm going to keep that in mind for later. He does this, this, and this. Yeah, it's true. You you never know who's watching, who's listening. And the fact that everything travels in real time now is just, it, it's so funny sometimes when I look at, I'm sure you've seen it on like your post too, when you see like the the interactions or, you know, how, how many people have viewed this or liked it or whatever. You think, wow, why, why that and not that? Or, you know, something where yeah. you think, wow, somehow this kind of took off. Like, you, you kind of don't know. So it's a good idea to throw things out there, even if it's a fragment of a song, even if it's 30 seconds, where mm-hmm. it's like, well, well, this is good. I wrote this. Even if it's a 30-second piece, let me just put it out there. Yeah, You don't know who's going to see it and, and who's going to mm-hmm. like it and share it and everything else. So it's it's a good time to be creative, I think, because technology is on our side. You know, we couldn't have, yeah. we literally couldn't have done this. I mean, we could have done a a low rent version through like Skype or something, you know, a couple of years ago, but now we're at the point where, well, there's kind of no excuse to not do something like this because, you know, the equipment's affordable. As long as you don't smack your microphone with your hand, like I did the, all the, all the gesturing that uh, Italians do. I'm like, Hey, I gotta, <laughs> I gotta move this arm so that I'm not constantly like punching the mic. But uh, no, everybody's got a webcam set up now out of necessity in the last year. So everybody can do something like that from home. Everybody could buy even like a USB mic. I mean, they're like, there's a whole display I saw at Best Buy a couple of weeks ago, which is like live streaming slash podcasting stuff. You can get a USB mic for like 50 bucks. So anybody can plug in and say, well, I'm going to do such and such a podcast or YouTube or whatever. So there's kind of no excuse not to do it. And it's fun to find creative ways like what you're doing, you know, like with doing the uh, the collaborations with you on one or a few instruments and some other musicians and just putting something out there. It's like, yeah, why not? This is another expression of creativity because you just don't know. And at the same time, who are you to say, well, no, I'm not going to put that out there because who knows if it's a good idea. It could be a great idea. It could be, uh, you know, that stuff could get licensed for like, you know, TV stuff. Cause they have those short, you know, pieces that they go, you know, just in and out music when they're going to commercial breaks and stuff like that. So just even be able to write like a short segment, I mean, that still has value. So the mm-hmm. idea that you can do that, I mean, hey, that's still a skill. If you have that many ideas and you have the means to put them down like you do, it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm going on my getting on my creativity soapbox right now. But like, I, I think it's really important. It's you know one of the things because everything's so accessible. I mean, you can do more stuff with your smartphone than, you know, Orson Welles could do, you know, when he was making movies <laughs> <laughs> or even like 50, like Scorsese couldn't do this stuff in the 70s that we can do on the device in our pocket. So it's that's where I'm coming from. And that's why I like hearing what you have to say about it, because it's like, why not? Why not just do it? Why not just put it out? Yeah. there? I do. Yeah, I think it, that's really important. Yeah. The capabilities are there. And, you know, if you can get over that fear of just like not caring what other people are going to think, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like, and that goes for any type of creative artist that puts out any type of content. Totally. Because you know? of course you're going to have people that like it, and you're going to have people that don't like it or whatever. But if you get people that are making comments on that, they actually took the time to like, listen. So that's another thing too, you know, is, you know, there's a confidence. There's a certain confidence you got to have. And I'm speaking for myself because for the longest time I didn't have that. Hmm. I just wasn't confident in what I was doing or had to offer. And, you know, here we go with the pandemic. I wouldn't have done all that stuff because one, I wouldn't have the time, but you know, the technology was there and it was either, you know what I can sit on this stuff and, or I could really expand on it because there was things that I had and I actually did, I was able to complete in in a sense that was, I felt comfortable with releasing and kind of just putting out there just kind of showing other sides of my creativity. Yeah. Showing your range a little bit. Why yeah. not? Cause there exactly. is, and I think we're all at that point, you know, if you put anything out there for public consumption, 
you know, on social media or, or people put it up on YouTube or whatever, it's, you know, that you're going to, there are going to be some people who just are going to criticize regardless and not everybody's going to love it. I think everybody kind of goes in with that mind frame of saying, okay, not everybody's going to love it. That's totally okay. I, one of my friends, Sean Johnson, who does um, guitar gear reviews on his YouTube channel, that's literally become his job. He just, he loves it and he got enough subscribers and got enough attention that it ended up being his thing. He's just do Stompbox Saturday. Every Saturday would review a new guitar pedal. Now it's literally what he does. He, he's a guitar guy on YouTube. Awesome. But uh, he had a he did a pedal review, I guess it was last weekend, and uh, one of the YouTube commenters just said, yeah, the pedal would have sounded better if you if you played in the right style. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> like some idiot actually decided he was going to take the time to write a comment as if the style of music he's playing didn't serve whatever effect the pedal was putting out there or whatever tone or something like that. And it's, and, and he even said like, whatever, like, don't follow me. Like he did, he did, he shared his reply on Instagram with, you know, what, what he said back to the guy. And it's like, yeah. Oh, somebody. And then somebody else just said like, um, you know, you're not that good at this. Uh, you know, don't quit your day job. He was like, I won't be quitting my day job because this is my day job. <laughs> Which is, I mean, there's no better comeback than that. Like that's, that's a mic that's drop awesome. moment. That's that a is good a, one. Yeah. That's a total mic drop moment. Um, but I, I think everybody kind of gets that. All right. Not everyone's going to love this. So I think it, um, it's easier to be uh, less inhibited about it because you know, people are going to be like, eh. I mean, I, I literally had somebody comment on my show about it. You know, this is a couple of years ago saying, uh, you know, I've never seen such a snooze fest or something like that. And I thought like, well, okay, don't, don't watch it. Don't listen. <laughs> It, that's fine. Like, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Whatever your thing is, it's out there too. If this isn't it, cool. Bye. Don't come back. Yeah. The, the idea of just whatever, just put out whatever your thing is, just put it out there. I'm all on board for that. I, t- I think that's about it. We c- we covered a lot. I mean, we scratched the surface, but at the same time, I feel like we covered all the kind of major bases and uh, got got into you and got into your your story and your experience and, and lessons from the pandemic, the continuing series of lessons from the pandemic, which I've been doing over the last uh, year and particularly in the last couple of months now that we're starting to make our way out of it. Uh, but yes. you guys got some gigs coming up, right? All pretty much Midwest. You got some in Missouri. You got some in Illinois. You've got some stuff coming up, right? So the mighty and uh, you can follow the mighty pines on Instagram as well. Get all the information there uh, along with some very, very funny collections of uh let's say photo outtakes i forget you guys have a you, you have a name for that like series of like over the almost look like sitcom photos of the four of you guys like standing kind of talking in between the poses i forget what you call it i I'm forget what we call plugging, them too but they are pretty funny i think that somebody else who's posting it but it let's just say it's the b-roll yeah <laughs> it's definitely the b-roll you, you guys just yeah. like palling around it, it looks like looks like something for from a sitcom coming this fall all those awkward faces yeah yeah. Those are a lot of fun. So yeah, follow the Mighty Pines on Instagram. Go to the mightypines.com to get the tour dates. And hopefully they're coming to the East Coast soon when things open up. <laughs> New York's opening up. So they, I mean, no shortage of musicians in New York looking to get out and play some gigs and <laughs> satisfy the landlord so they could survive another month. But uh, just the same, now that things are opening up, more dates to come. And uh, is Instagram the best place to follow you as well? Yeah, it is. Mike Murr. 314 M-U-R Mike M-U-R 314 on Instagram and uh, of course you can find Mighty Pines everywhere on all the streamers and uh, hey you can actually buy stuff too imagine that you can buy the record Uh, or I should say the CD or is it available on vinyl you guys on the vinyl thing now too not on the vinyl quite yet because well pandemic (laughs) this this is possibly in the future um, but you can go to our website and we do have the, our merch store, which has the CDs and you can get some other apparel like t-shirts for sale. Cool. We do, sh- we do ship. And uh, late last night is the album, the 2020 album from the muddy pines. So you guys right. can check that out as well. And you can also follow me on Twitter at Chris Abalo and on Instagram at Chris sells out and follow the show at Cape pod on Twitter and Instagram and uh, support the show on Patreon. Like I said, patreon.com slash Kate pod. If you want the full video of the episodes, then you can uh, support the show there. You get full video of every single episode. And uh, of course, clips on the YouTube channel, go to the half ass media YouTube channel, and you will find two to three clips a week from the show. Follow support, share, 
And uh, listen, don't forget to go out and support Vans when they're coming back to your city. The Mighty Pines and everybody else. Concerts are coming back this summer. Limited capacity. Show up. Buy some drinks. Support the venues. Support the artists. It's really important. Don't forget that they helped keep you sane during this last year. So, Mike, thank you very much for being here, for taking the time out from your endlessly busy schedule. It's fresh off a gig, and he's here chatting with me about the creative journey. So thank you for this. I appreciate it. I'm glad we were just able to catch up anyway, but uh, this has been awesome. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Uh, Great to see you, too. So until next time, for Mike Morano, this is Chris Abalo, and this was yet another experiment. Going to a jazz brunch as punishment for all the racket you're making. I thought you wanted me to drum. I'm sending you mixed messages. Now get the hell out of here. I love you so much. Damn you.